Well, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We are going to resume uh, our study of practical theology. Um, that's where we've been, and just prior to Dr. Jason Lyle coming here, that's where what we've been doing is we, we've been walking through uh, the book of Ephesians. I mean, the book of Ephesians is such a triumphant book because it's laid out so perfect for us in terms of understanding uh, the difference between what is and what ought to be. Remember, we've been looking at that distinction quite readily. And I'll write it just up here again one more time just to just to kind of remind us, refresh our minutes. It's been a while. So remember, the book of Ephesians is broken down uh, into two categories, ultimately, the indicative and then the uh, imperative. And what is the imperative, Robert? Was that your voice? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. <laughs> That's right. The commands. That's right. The, what, what we are obligated to do. <laughs> and so how does the book break down? Well, chapters 1 to chapter 3 is part of the indicative. Chapter 4 to chapter 6 is part of the imperative. So what is the indicative? The indicative is what is real. What What is, right? Uh, what Paul is laboring in these three chapters to remind us uh, what has taken place in Christ. And so he, we talked about the different aspects of that, and I broke it down kind of into the big sections of the, of, of that chapter, and we talked about union with Christ, we talked about covenantal participation, uh, we talked about the mystery that had, that was hidden from ages past, now has been revealed. All of that theology is like the bedrock of our of the imperatives of the letter, right? And so chapters four to six, that is the practical section of the book of, of Ephesians. Now, remember, we're studying practical theology, and if you know anything about theology, sometimes practical theology is also known as pastoral theology. That's kind of another uh, technical term for the category of theology. We looked at systematic theology, and um, systematic theology does what? It takes a topic or a doctrine, right? And it takes the entire Bible and it informs that doctrine, let's say justification. And the whole Bible is used to prove different aspects of the doctrine of justification. But then we looked at biblical theology. And what is biblical theology? Well, biblical theology is a different category of theology. It really stresses the redemptive history of the Bible. It shows how the, how the main themes of scripture unfold progressively throughout the history of scripture. Uh, and that differs from systematic theology quite a bit. I would say it's more organic, meaning that you're just kind of following the history of the Bible, how the Bible unfolds it. That's different than systematic theology. Systematic theology is not necessarily concerned with, well, what epic in Scripture are you in with that proof text that they're using for justification? That's not the concern there. They're using Scripture to prove a doctrine uh, for grammatical reasons or for conceptual reasons, not really for historical reasons. So those two categories are different. Now, we feel like we caught up a little bit there, <laughs> went back quite a bit. Now we're on practical theology. And this is where it really gets down to the nitty-gritty of how you live the Christian life. And um, not surprising, as the Apostle Paul transitions into this practical section, don't 
don't get the misunderstanding that, okay, we dealt with the theology, right? We dealt with the doctrine. Now we're going to get into the, the, the mushy stuff. No, 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 no. Right? It's all doctrine. It's all theology, right? So we don't want to make that mistake. But it begins with the concept of unity uh, and church unity. So let's read that scripture together, okay? Let's read that. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore I... The prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, we could go on and on because he goes on to still talk about unity, but I wanted to, I wanted to handle that in, in a, a separate way. Uh, because really, what this section, verses 1 through 3, what that section belongs to is a bigger section in this chapter, namely verses 1 through 16. If you look all the way down to verse 16, he's still talking about the body. You see that? From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, etc., 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 so therein, in verse 16, he sort of rounds off the section. So we're going section by section within this section. <laughs> um, isn't scripture amazing, by the way? I mean, it's just the, 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 right? I mean, just the, um, the intricate nature of scripture. It's just incredible. The consistency of it, as James White would say, right? Um, just the, the genius of it, right? I mean, obviously, the Apostle Paul was a genius. I would say, New Testament-wise, next to Jesus, the most, you know, the greatest theologian the church had ever seen was the Apostle Paul, right? And he himself was a genius, I believe. He, you remember even his pre-conversion times, Galatians chapter 1, I think it's like verse 11 or 12, he says, you know, that he had excelled beyond his contemporaries. I mean, Paul was made of some strange metal. I mean, this guy was something strange, right? It's like he cared nothing else but to just know the Bible, know the Lord, explain theology. You know, he was just a total theologian, but he was a balanced theologian, right? Uh, in my book, Convert from Adam to Christ, I, I base my category of, of, uh, e- uh, theological evangelism on Paul because I thought that is what Paul is. He is a theologian evangelist. And boy, we need more of that, right? Uh, not just zealous evangelism, but th- evangelism that is informed with a robust theological understanding of Christianity, you know, which is, is, is what we all should be striving for. So, number one, uh, we come to this first section of unity, and what I would say is that this whole section is about church unity, and so what, what, what can we, what can we say we're being united on in this section? Well, I would say it's something like unity, of virtue because we have a virtue list in this passage you see that verse 2 with all humility and gentleness patience showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the of the spirit and the bond of peace those are all christian virtues and what does that remind you of that list anybody anyone what's that shout it out brother the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> Let's look at that. Galatians chapter 1, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 5. Um, 
That's right, because it's it's a parallel to what we see as the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, careful now, not the fruits of the Spirit, right? <laughs> it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? What, what, when it says the fruit of the Spirit, what is he saying? He's saying the byproduct. We could even say the evidence, right, of the Spirit is this, the manifestation of the Spirit. How do you know you have the Spirit of God? Well, just look at the fruit of the Spirit. Do you have this? Is this evident in your life? If not, you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, right? He says uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul going from a Christian killer, right, with no tolerance whatsoever for Christians, and then being the proponent of gentleness, kindness, love, self-control. Wow, right? So some sort of transformation took place in Paul's life to make him a new man like this, right? I mean, this this is a true work of the Spirit of God wrought in his heart. And so that's what we're looking at here is is this this virtuous list. So back to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, oh boy, there's so much here. Let, let's just begin where Paul begins, right? Let's begin with Paul's reputation, right? Let's begin with his reputation uh, because notice how he qualifies his introduction. I would say even further than that, let's look exegetically at the verse. It says, therefore, right? And you know, because you guys interpret scripture, anytime therefore is there you need to go you need to go and search why is therefore there for what's it there for right well because he just got done in chapter 3 launching out of this whole concept of the church you see that verse 20 chapter 3 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we can ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus to all generations forever and ever and then so therefore says based on what he has just said about the mystery and the church, he says, therefore, right? I, the prisoner of the Lord. He says, I, the prisoner of the Lord. So what do we make of his reputation? I'm calling it his reputation. I try to you know, make everything nice and neat so it fits somewhere. But why do you think Paul qualified his opening statement here? Anybody? Yes, sir? It's describing, quite frankly, his submission the Lord. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Paul was submitted to the Lord. He was the Lord's. You're saying it's 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 speaking more in terms of um, that he was the Lord's servant, his bond servant. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's 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 a component for sure. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yep. Literally in prison, right? Um, yeah, I think so. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20. Right? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20. Um, boy, I hate to start at verse 20. This passage is... Uh, let's go to verse 18 then. With all prayer, petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view. Be on alert and all with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf... That utterance may be given to me 
in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, right? That I, that, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So yeah, definitely the apostle Paul is in chains as he's writing this, right? Uh, he has uh, suffered imprisonment on a number of occasions, uh, and ultimately ended his life that way, right? Uh, I'll never forget going to Israel and we headed off to Caesarea by the sea and they take you out to this, um, to the, the the ruins of an old Roman, um, an old Roman uh, 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 prison, and they walk you down the stairs to some of the lowest parts of the dungeons they had. And uh, I'll never forget standing there as the tour guide says, and this is probably a type of prison cell that Paul was held in. And you're just thinking, and you're just looking around in there, and you just think, wow, you know, the mighty Apostle Paul. And and sometimes, you know, the lower dungeons were the worst because the sewage would go down there and the rats would go down there. Just awful, you know. And just to think that Paul was imprisoned at various times in different ways like that. And he was imprisoned at Caesarea. So um, incredible, just incredible. Um, yeah, again, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, same thing. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for the sake of Jesus, uh, for the sake of you Gentiles, uh, chapter 3, verse 13, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart and my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. Um, so as Paul the Apostle is saying, look, I am the prisoner of the Lord, and not until he qualifies his reputation, he says, I implore you. And so what is he saying there by qualifying himself as the prisoner of the Lord? I mean, what I think he's saying is that, look... I, you know, I seal the deal with my life. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I put my money where my mouth is. Um, I'm not just imploring you as someone who knows, how, you know, how to serve the Lord. I mean, you know, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, I'm the Lord's prisoner, you know? So he, he, he has a lot of authority. You know, I tell you what, I mean, there's a lot of authority when you're talking to someone who has suffered persecution and who has legitimately suffered for the kingdom. Uh, I remember, and I'll never forget, and I don't, it's hard to even talk about now, but I'll never forget uh, going to uh, Sudan, or rather Uganda, and being with the Sudanese there in Uganda and listening to some of these brethren uh, who had fled persecution from the, the Muslims in Sudan and have them tell their stories of how they suffered. I tell you what, man, just a pin drop in the room. You don't say a word. You literally are just hanging on every word they have to say. And you, there is just a, a reverential depth of what they're saying. And you just like, this person has suffered in a way that may, I may, I probably will never suffer. And it, it really, really summons you to attention to what they're saying there. It makes their words really weighty. So Paul, his reputation is one who has suffered for the Lord. He is a prisoner of the Lord. Anybody want to add to that or say anything about that? Please feel free to talk. A lot of visitors today, um, feel free to uh, share and give feedback. Don't be afraid, please. We don't bite. <laughs> uh, okay, well, so, so let's move on. So what does he implore them about? So from Paul's reputation to his what? To his exhortation, right? Uh, to his exhortation. He says, I implore you... To walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Uh, that's a mouthful, right? 
Walk in a manner worthy. Now, what does he mean here by walk worthy? What does he mean here? Your daily conduct. So certainly that's what he means by the word, right? Walk, right? That word, that Greek word there, paripateo, is a word that, yes, it means conduct, right? Lifestyle, you know, something like that. But he's saying walk, then he says worthy. So that, that's a lot. Uh, well, he's saying a lot has been paid for your salvation. Therefore, walk in a manner in which... Mm-hmm. What God has done. Yeah. That which is fitting. That which is fitting. Yeah, or do. Okay. Or do the sacrifice of Christ. Amen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Worthy of repentance. That's right. That's right. Uh, the Greek word for worthy is exios. And it just means something that is equal to, right? And so what he's saying is that consider the depth of your calling. And try to walk equal to the type of calling that you have, right? And what kind of calling do we have? That's a big question. What kind of calling do, can we say that we have been, um, that we have been called? Cause he says, walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So what kind of calling do we have, Brian? same type of virtues and virtues uh, supplemented supplement the faith with virtues mm-hmm. knowledge knowledge self-control that same type of list that the Bible gives that's a good parallel passage because there's a virtue list there as well that's right yes sir holiness holiness that's right that's a big one that's right that's right yes yes indeed go ahead Gail Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and because children of God is is very important in First John, and it's important in other places. But when we're called as children of God, you know, even Paul says, you know, as obedient children. So the idea of being a child of God implies obedience, right? So absolutely, it has that component. Maybe a parallel passage would be in Philippians chapter one, verse twenty-seven. He says, "Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy." Now, listen to this. Not of your calling, but of the gospel of Christ. You're getting a sense that what the Apostle Paul is saying is, in order for us to have a worthy walk, right, we need to have an understanding, right, of the gospel. We need to have an understanding of our calling, what our calling entailed, what it involved, what it consists of, what is the nature of our calling, Um you can't have a you can't have a walk worthy of the gospel if you don't really understand the gospel. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Right. So um, I think that's an important component. Yes, Landon. I, I think, Go ahead. I think a good verse is is First uh, Corinthians one nine says God is faith, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son. Mm-hmm. And so your call should reflect the fact that you know God and that you have fellowship with 
Jesus Christ. And it says his son, Very good. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so their calling should reflect that fellowship with Christ, walking in holiness and serving him as Lord. Yeah, that's right. I mean, think about what the Apostle Paul just said, right? I, the prisoner. <laughs> and then he's calling us to a worthy walk, right? And so going kind of going back to what Landon is saying, um, you know, we are called into fellowship with the Lord Jesus. And what is our what is our identity in that relationship? What's that? So, well, what's our identity in relationship to the Lord? Slaves, right? We're doulos. He's the master. He's the kurios. We're the doulos, right? We're the slave. He's the master. The servant is not greater than his master, right? This is our relationship. I mean, really, guys, I mean, you know, this is something that has amazed me time and time again, even in my own life, you know, but just the idea that, you know, as Christians, we really have no rights. And if that offends you, you know, you may not want to read the book of Romans. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because the book of Romans strips that from you. Romans chapter 6, verse 17, very clearly says that because of regeneration, we became obedient from the heart to a certain pattern of doctrine, right? So we, I mean, this is part of our calling. Yes, ma'am. It's not a popular message. Yeah. To be a servant, right? That our new identity is to be a servant. That might be the, that might be the sequel. Yeah, to follow that up with that. Well, um, John MacArthur wrote the book Dulos, right? He, a slave, right? Where he shows throughout the Bible that, you know, do, now let me qualify. Is the, is the recorder on? Yes, it is. Okay. Because if you look up in a lexicon, Dulos is translated either servant or slave. Both are lexically acceptable. But I know what MacArthur is trying to say, that we've kind of weakened the term doulos because it obviously has culturally, you know, insensitive connotations for some people, particularly, you know, from the civil rights movement. And you go back to talking about slavery, you know, you may not get very far, especially in those early evangelical decades where you're translating the Bible, right? And you start translating doulos, slave, slave, slave. And it's just like the whole culture just came out of slavery. You know what I mean? I don't know that you want to, so go for something a little bit more politically correct, like bond servant, you see, but no, but, but, but the, the term in the Greek is graphic. It is a graphic and, and guess what it is. It's, it's what the carnal mind cannot understand that our slavery is a beautiful bondage that we love to be the slaves of Christ. Right. Um, so I don't know. I'm so far away from my notes. I just, <laughs> I'm just hanging out with you guys. <laughs> A- any other ideas or concepts? Yes, ma'am. Marianne. I think you just summarized everything we've been saying. You know what I mean? That 
I mean, where, where were you, where were you when I was getting ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> no, because think about it. It's like what we said. Like, I mean, you have to be filled with the knowledge of God, knowledge of His will, right? And then it defines what it means to walk worthy, right? It speaks about spiritual wisdom, understanding. It speaks about being pleasing to the Lord in all respects. It speaks about bearing fruit, being fruitful, being productive in the Christian life. I tell you what. Brothers and sisters, uh, I don't care where you're at and what stage of your life in Christ, you must be productive. You can't, your Christian life at no point at all, ever, can it be like cruise control Christianity. You're just sort of drifting around, right? You got to have a direction. You need to have spiritual goals. You need to have a Bible reading plan. You need to have a study plan. Uh, I tell this to... You know, I tell this to people that come to me and ask me about theology and study. I said, where do you study in your house? Do you have a station? Do you, you, you have a desk designed specifically for study? Right? Or is it just, oh, if I get around to it, I just sit on the couch or something. I can't do serious Bible study on the couch. i got to sit on a desk. Now, granted, you say, oh, yeah, but you're the pastor. Now, I don't know. This verse right here that Marianne laid on all of us, it says all spiritual wisdom, all understanding. And it doesn't say just for the pastors. Right? We all need to grow and increase in the knowledge of God. Yeah, granted, not all of us may pursue that with the same academic rigor, but we still, if the knowledge of God in this way is going to draw us closer to Jesus Christ, I mean, don't you want to know more about Jesus? Right? Who he is, what he has done, his person, his work? Yes, sir? I think it also, there's a great reminder from Jesus himself in John chapter 14. Um, where it says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. That's right. So not, not, not just that we get closer to him, but, but they will come closer to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The communion with God goes up, right? Once we're in union, once we experience union with Christ, the, 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 the key is now to deepen our communion with Christ, Right? Now that we are safe in his hands, no one can snatch us out of his hands, right? Um, if anything, Reformed theology teaches us that we are, we are going to endure to the end. We're going to persevere. We are, we are secure in our salvation, right? But that doesn't mean that we can put it in cruise control. That means that we should deepen our communion with God, right? I mean... There's so many different ways that we can go with this. Uh, But I did want to just quickly look at this because remember what we're doing here. We're talking about unity of virtue and unity in the church. I should have put that unity. But what we're talking about is unity in the context of the church. Now, does that say church? Now it does. Um, But because this is very important for the Apostle Paul. Every every little bit of theology he ever did, he did it on the grand assumption that you and I will be connected to the local church. Paul does not do anything apart from the connection that he had to the local church. He's in prison, and he's writing to the Philippians staying accountable to them from prison to the local church, talking about receipts. What? Accounting. <laughs> that's that's what's going on at the end of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. He says, no one else 
contributed in the matter of giving and receiving except for you, right? Well, that that phrase that he uses there is, and a lot of commentators will point it out, that is, that is talking about, uh, that language was used in ancient Greek receipts for keeping of accounts. So here's the Apostle Paul being fiscally responsible to the local church from jail. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Paul is a churchman through and through. Um, and, 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 and that's why I try to be myself. But what does that tell us? That these virtues, they cannot be done in isolation. I mean, we, we have a very important phrase here. Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness... With patience, showing tolerance for one another, right? For one another. That's a very important phrase for practical theology because this turns into what many have called one another theology. You find it everywhere in Scripture. Love one another, serve one another, rebuke one another, admonish one another. Um, what are the one another's? Be devoted to one another, right? Show honor to one another, right? Right, so bear one another's birth, bear with one another, tolerate one another. Oh, that's a big one, right? <laughs> We're not all, you know, the easiest people to tolerate. I know I can be difficult to tolerate. Just ask Pastor Chris. Or my wife. No, ask Pastor Chris instead. My wife would get, you know, anyway. <clears throat> Let's talk about that because I really, I really wanted to get down to the practicality and my tendency is to get very doctrinal, very theological. But I really wanted to talk about that very thing right there. This whole concept of one another, right? So Paul has just got done talking about our mystical union with Christ, spiritual meaning, right? Our positional righteousness, the fact that we are in Christ. The fact that the mystery, the mysterion, has been revealed, that has been hidden away for ages past in God. Now this eternal decree comes out and it manifests itself through the church. And now he's concerned about what? Make sure you tolerate each other. Wow. How did we go from the depths of theological, you know, how did we go from the pinnacle of theology and talking about some of the deepest things in, in all of scripture, like the, the, the eternal decrees of God to make sure you guys get along? Wow. Yes, sir. Jeffrey. Yeah. The joy, the, the fruit of the spirit is joy, love, joy. Amen, brother. So it's, uh, let us all be your own back to me. Yeah. Life is very penetrating. Yeah. Yeah, amen. No, no, amen. I've been wanting to do something on, uh, and you guys tell me if you guys resonate with this, but I've been wanting to do something, uh, just on the, the, the tone that we can often take in our, in our conversations, you know, as Christians, 
especially online and social media. I mean, you know what a train wreck that could be. You know what I mean? But I think there definitely needs to be a – we need a shot in the arm today in the church. I'll say for me personally, particularly the Reformed church needs to be kind of awakened to, hey, man, you know um, – you know, a lot of times we're very graceless people, those of us that believe in sovereign grace, you know what I mean? And we need to really keep our, our heart in check as much as we're zealous with our mind, you know what I mean? That that we don't, uh, what does Galatians say, right? That we don't bite and devour one another. I mean, we can easily devour each other over little things that in the grand scheme of things, not that they don't matter, but you know what I mean? There has to be the ability for Christians to rise above and still, no matter what theological positions we might take, no matter what our convictions might be, no matter what type of church we might go to that might differ from our church, we still have to show humility, gentleness, patience. If we lose that, we lose Christ-likeness. Can you close that door for me? Thank you. Um, you know what I'm saying? I mean, Juan. I'm going to use that now. Yeah, we can't cannibalize each other. You know what I mean? Um, it just happens too much. And that's what I'm saying. Like, we lose Christ-likeness in the midst of it. You know what I mean? And it may have the shell, the shell of spirituality. Because we're using theological terms and doctrine and we're getting exegetical and Greek and Hebrew are flying everywhere, right? But at the end of the day, if we don't treat each other well, I mean, we are we are nothing like Jesus at that point. You know what I mean? And what is sanctification? Sanctification is synonymous with conformity to Christ. These are controvertible statements. Conforming to the image of Christ and sanctification, same thing. So if you want to be sanctified and grow as a Christian, you must become more like Christ. Now, did, was Christ an apologist? You know, did, did, did Christ ever debate anybody? Sure. But he didn't devour his brethren. You know, yes, sir. Kind of what I've been like noticing, or at least learning lately, is even in the groups of church, I've had many times as a fellow pastor, I've been like, you know, sort of having a comment on their arguments or something. Like sure. Um, but you've read this couple that First Timothy one, in this charge that he's to give not to get the doctrine and so forth, it says, but only by charge of love. Mm. Mm. You're playing the symbol. You're like, that's, that is what supports like a great heavy Yeah. Yeah, amen. Amen. Um, yeah, so, um, I don't know. Anybody else have an example that they can use, uh, in talking about this sort of virtue? Yes, ma'am. Um, kindness. Kindness. Yep. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. For sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, amen. Amen. I mean, I think a powerful thing that's mentioned here is this concept of showing tolerance. Because, boy... 
you know what I mean? We we want to make sure we you know cross our T's and dot our I's, and we have our theological P's and Q's all straightened out, you know. And we very we're very quick not to tolerate things. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're very good at not tolerating things, but here we're being told show tolerance. You know, understand that people are not where you're at all the time. You know, realize that people are at a different level of sanctification, whatever it may be. You know, I mean, probably nobody knows this more than spouses, right? I mean, when you get married to each other, I mean, if you don't tolerate each other for your for your flaws, you're doomed. You know what I mean? You're just not going to make it. <laughs> You've got to be able to to tolerate each other's flaws and to overlook a sin in your spouse and 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 to to not badger each other and 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 you know in an overt fashion, but yes, sir. Uh, I think just I think you know with what Ephesians four is saying, um, just the point of you know the tolerance, but humil- in humility and, and in gentleness. I know um, in, in my experience, even before being a participant in Christ Convoy, I was very very dogmatic to the point, and you know I think dogmatic dogmatism is good on the essential but at the same time I was that without being gentle you know being a, a, a gentle giant you know yeah. in that sense of saying look here's the truth but do it speaking it in a loving, in a loving fashion yeah. amen I think that's, that's really good. where where is um you know because I would say you know I would say the ultimate Christian ethic is what love, love right so where would we ground this in the indicative. Where's that? Read it. Do you have a verse? You have a chapter and verse, brother? We won't tolerate anything less. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Right, so what what, what are we saying about the imperatives here? What are we saying about walking worthy of our calling? Well, part of that is that we Im, that we imitate God, right? If God's motive for choosing and predestining us was love and kindness, think about that, right? How should that then be reflected in our own character? So it very much has to do with what's known as the communicable attributes of God. What does that mean? The communicable attributes of God. Anyone? Michael? What's that? That's right. That's right. It's the opposite of what? Do you know? Incommunicable attributes. The man that's been studying his systematic theology right there. Right? Incommunicable would be attributes we do not imitate God in. So like what? His eternality. That's right. His omnipotence, omniscience, his sovereignty. We are not sovereign. He is, you know, there's certain things that, but yes, there are communicable things like love and, you know, and uh, mercy and patience and kindness that we do try to imitate our creator in. Um, Okay. So back to this section, I wanted to make sure and fit this in here as our time is dwindling. Um, It says here in verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, I see several things going on there. Number one, there's an attitude that's that's being uh, highlighted here. 
The attitude is diligence, right? Being diligent. And then there is a, <clears throat> there is a, uh, a, a sphere, I guess we can say. There is a certain category of unity that we're talking about, which means there's a category of unity we're not talking about. I mean, will you and I be unified on everything? Right? No, I mean, you may like the Atlanta Falcons, I might like the Patriots, you know. We'll find out, we'll find out whose team, you know, <laughs> right, later today or whatever, you know, but yeah. <laughs> you know, so we, we may not like the same sports, we may not, you know, you may enjoy a glass of wine or you may enjoy a beer, I may not, you know what I mean? We disagree on that. You might like this kind of music, I may not like that kind of music. So we may not agree on everything, okay? Uh, and in, in those areas, that is not what he's saying. He's not saying, and he's also not even saying theologically. Now, hold on a second. Don't judge me too harshly, right? We don't have the same brains. I used to preach in a church, some of you know, and the pastor and I would share the pulpit more regularly, and it was difficult at times because we'd come down on different exegetical nuances. We're like, oh, I kind of see this a little bit like this. Well, I kind of see it a little bit like this. Well, we didn't have the same brain. <laughs> you know what I mean? We came to different conclusions on certain things. But one thing we always tried to maintain, at least we tried to maintain, <laughs> right, was was an overall unity. You know what I mean? And I think that's what this is calling us to. Because look what he's saying. Unity of what? Of the spirit. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean unity of the spirit? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Like unit, like how do we keep the unity of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> you know, recognizing that we're all called in Christ by the same Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good stab. <laughs> <laughs> nice stab. <laughs> I don't disagree with you either. Treating them like a brother or sister. Okay, so it's 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 underscoring the spiritual connection, connection that we have. The difference. Okay. No. Yeah. I, to me, I'm speaking more broadly in terms of we're in the sphere of the spiritual, right? We're in the sphere of salvation, of redemption. We're in that sphere. We're not in the sphere necessarily like I was you know, kind of talking about other maybe more mundane things. We're talking about striving and being diligent for the unity of things that pertain to the spirit of God, right? In that sense. And, and I got to tell you, um, yes, 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 ma'am. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I can give you examples. This is what I wanted to get to because uh, unity in the church is very difficult to maintain. You know, pastors stay up at night. We lose sleep over unity in the church. You know, uh, one bad, you know, one little dust up over here. I mean, it just can have, you know, one little Facebook clash, you know, and the next thing you know, I mean, we're having meetings. I mean, it's just crazy, you know, the way that it works. Yes, ma'am.
Correct. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Well, so I had a friend who is, you know, probably top five scholar in the world on Islam and um, and has an incredible ministry to Muslims around the Middle East, around the whole world. And um, he was very much like if you're not into my thing with Muslims, like what you're doing is not important. You know what I mean? Because like to him, like he saw the threat so clearly, like what he's doing is global, you know, and you guys are sitting here like studying you know, apologetics and you know, or you're studying reformed theology. It's like, you know, like, come on, you know, like we're losing the battle to Islam and you guys want to sit around here and debate Calvinism. You know what I mean? So, so we've had our conversations because we're close enough friends to say, brother, look, like you're right about your concerns, but you got to realize the sister that goes down and ministers to the homeless on the weekend, her ministry is just as valid as yours. You know what I mean? This is what we mean by tolerating one another. But in the church, it's even more, I'd say it's even more important when we're talking about ministry of the local church. And that's this Philippians 2 passage, Miriam, that you brought up is exactly right. It's, it's, this is the thrust. This is the spirit. I had a brother in our church that had a particular eschatological point of view. And I knew that he was extremely zealous for this point of view. And he joined the church knowing that we had a different point of view. And I admonished him before he joined our church. I said, brother, I just want to understand. I just want to make sure we have an understanding that you cannot be trying to convert everybody into the, in the church to your particular point of view. And, 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 and what happened every time I turned around there, he was trying to convince somebody, convince somebody, convince somebody. It was like a hobby horse. He couldn't get off of that topic. And it was just like, and what it was creating was division. You know what I mean? And so we have to be careful that we do not become so obsessed with something, right, that we end up kind of hurting the body instead of helping the body. You know, I would say this, I, I get this all the time. I don't know why this happens to me, but this, this happens to me, this has happened to me, I kid you not, probably at least three or four times where I'm speaking at a conference, I get approached by a, a individual or a, or, or a family and they are distraught. Uh, some of them are emotional, in tears. They want to. They seek my counsel. They're having a hard time at church. They don't know what to do. Uh, maybe their church is not doing the kind of ministry they want them to be doing, and they're just at an impasse, and they just don't know what to do. And they're just ready to give up on their local church, you know. And I tell you what, we have to be very careful to maintain the unity of the spirit. In, in, in the church. And what I would say, you know, as, as far as all that goes is if you can no longer receive from your pastors, you can no longer receive from the local church. You're leaving more bitter than you are leaving blessed. It's time to go. Or it's time to repent. One or the other. You know what I mean? That's a clear indication it's time to go. That it's, you're no longer contributing to the unity of the church. You're now walking away with bitterness and resentment and complaining and grumbling. What does God say about grumbling and complaining? He don't like it. Remember? I mean, and, and what does Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, three times, that what happened to Israel happened for our example, so that we wouldn't follow in that same course of evil as they did. You see what I'm saying? And so, anybody else? Last word? Anything else? Right? So important, right? It's almost like I needed just to focus on this. 
right? But uh, but we will. We'll continue because we're going to continue going through Ephesians, through this whole section. I mean, look at the next verses we're going to cover. One body, one spirit. You were also called in the one hope your, of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Wow! <laughs> the Apostle Paul doesn't mind being redundant. This is so important to him, right? All right, let's, I'm already, let's go. So let's head off to worship.